Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you would like to be on the program, uh, real quick, before I get to your phone calls, I just got to read you this tweet. Uh, Belgium, the nation, its energy industry secretary for the government is saying the energy crisis may bring the European economy to full stop. Well, uh, Belgium itself has a plan to get rid of 50% of its nuclear supply, uh, nuclear energy supply by 2025, which is also half of its total energy production. By 2025, they want to replace it with imported natural gas. They are going to begin shutdowns in the coming days. Germany's plan was to get rid of 30% of its power supply from nuclear energy over two decades. Uh, the last 6% were scheduled for this winter. France's plan was to get rid of a third of its nuclear capacity, cutting down from 75% of all energy power generated in France is from nuclear, bring it down to 50%. Belgium was going to go from 50% of its total power production to 0% over the next three years. Uh, Liz Truss is the Prime Minister of Great Britain now. Do you know what she did for a living? She was, before she entered the conservative government, her day job was an economist for Shell Energy. And yesterday... They were debating, and this has been overshadowed now by Queen Elizabeth's death. They were actually debating what she intends to do because Britain is headed into a major energy crisis, major energy shortages. One of the things that uh, they have done in Britain over the last number of years is they banned fracking. So Liz Truss, uh, the new prime minister, is going to reauthorize fracking, uh, expedite uh, production of natural gas, and cap power bills. Now, capping power bills is a terribly bad idea, mind you. Uh, it doesn't work. It will cause problems. But nonetheless, uh, they see that as a short-term solution because power bills are going through the roof right now in Great Britain already. And the, the heart of winter hasn't even still fall there. And uh, power bills are already going through the roof. But they're going to do that, and they're going to uh, encourage and incentivize fracking uh, for natural gas production in the UK to stop being dependent on other countries and to reduce the number of imports of natural gas, which is good for them. They need it. Uh, the Europeans have made such a religion out of climate change. They're about to sacrifice their people to Moloch to save the planet as they freeze to death this winter unless they do something. And that's going to happen here. It's going to be our future unless we stand up to the environmentalist nuts in this country who are trying to hijack policy. You know, Joe Manchin tied his support for the Inflation Reduction Act that turns out was only a climate change bill, not an Inflation Reduction Act, to uh, new legislation that would expand oil and gas pipelines in the country. Surprise, surprise. Democrats in the Senate are threatening now to filibuster, particularly Bernie Sanders, says he will oppose a short-term government funding bill if it includes the Mansion deal on energy, the bill is set to ease regulations around building new oil pipelines and natural gas pipelines. Bernie Sanders says he's going to vote against it, and progressive Democrats in the House say not only are they going to vote against it, but they're openly saying it's payback 
for when Manchin killed the larger Build Back Better plan some time ago. Instead, they say we need more solar farms and wind farms. There's not enough land. And when the endangered species start dying because of it, they'll demand we just be in the dark. Now, to your calls we go. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Billy, you're going to be first. Welcome to the show. Hello? Hi. I'm sorry I didn't hear my name. That's all right. I I clicked the button as I was saying it. It was my fault. No, no. Um, In 1973, I was married, and my husband immediately started uh, trying to kill me. And uh, when I was able to get to a phone, I called the police, and the police said that they didn't come out for domestic disputes, that that's when their officers got injured. And they would not even come by and pick me up. And there weren't any shelters for me to go to. Uh, I had a one-month-old son, and I said, will you at least make a report that he has put a gun to my head. He has pulled the trigger and he didn't know there weren't any bullets in it. He has strangled me until I passed out and his uncle pulled him off of me, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, no lady. And the man, the dispatcher is laughing. I pictured him as an evil Santa Claus. And He was laughing through the whole conversation, and he said, don't you get it, lady? Nobody cares about you. This was in the 1970s? 1973. Good grief. And I said, I said, when will you come help me? And he said, when you're stabbed, when you're shot. And when you're dead. Good grief. I am all for the police. I do not want to see the police defunded. I want to see more police. I want to see them backed. I want to see raises. People say that... uh, they are hurting people. Those are rare. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, they get heated moments. Uh, people are people. Um, but, it, but, you know, isn't it interesting, Billy, though, how things have evolved? Because that was a common story, I, I would think, in the 60s and 70s, spousal abuse. I'm actually reading a book now about a guy who said uh, his father used to beat him and his mother, and he called the police one time as a kid. The police showed up, and the and the dad answered the door and says, oh, shucks, it's just domestic issue. Don't worry about it, fellas. And they all laughed, and they walked away. And nowadays, you, people actually take that stuff seriously, thankfully. Oh, yeah. The police came out one time when um, I... When I got an attorney that really got me some separation papers, 
mm-hmm. because most of the attorneys said the judges don't care, nobody cares, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I finally found an attorney because I'd written down dates and times. I had three legal pages. Good for you. And I had two black eyes. I was black and blue everywhere. I used gobs of makeup, you know, Gosh. cover it up and everything. And I finally got away when my son was three months old. Good for and you. The thank you and my and the police finally came when I when I looked out the door and my husband was standing there smiling real sweetly like he had when I dated him and when I opened up the door he had that rifle aimed at my head. Good grief! And I closed it and called the police and. One finally came, and of course, he didn't have the rifle, and um, he came in, and my husband sat down, told told me how he was going to kill my family, kill my son, which was our son, and uh-huh. I was going to be last so that I could watch all this. Holy and cow. And I, I said, are you, mm? I said, are you through? And he said, oh, yeah, and he laughed. And I looked at the policeman, and I said, okay, arrest him. And the policeman smiled. He said, I can't do anything. And my husband just laughed and everything. My son cried. I said, excuse me, and I went back in the back to get my son. And I came forward, and my husband and the policeman were laughing. Okay, so I, I, I gotta I, look. I, I gotta I, I need to move it along, and I'm I'm sorry to do that because okay. I'm intrigued by this. Yes. But um, so now yes. fast forward though, because you sound like you're actually a big advocate of police now. Yes, I thank them every time I see them. I thank them for putting their lives on the line. That's good to hear. I, I, I got to tell you, it, it's just I have I've never talked to someone on my show. I've talked to people who have similar stories. You never on the show. Uh, what a horrific thing. And, and yet you survived and conquered and, and were able to move on with your life. And I just I can't tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm horrified by the story and also impressed with your conviction to be able to stand up for yourself. So I appreciate you calling in and your defense of the police so well, given what happened back in the 70s. Thank you. What I've discovered is that people can beat you up, beat you down. They can only kill you one time. And I hope God has the opinion that I have that he's going to let me in the pearly gates. Amen to that. Amen to that. Thank you so much. Uh, That was... Gosh, and yet uh, the police are people she supports, given all of that. And, you know, these these stories, by the way, you should know um, her story is not uncommon from that era of uh, spousal abuse back then. You know, it's been a thing still in Great Britain. So Camilla, the queen, consort, that's kind of her big thing is spousal abuse, domestic abuse and shedding light on it because even today in Britain, in some communities, what happened, what Billy was just describing from the 70s in the U.S. is still commonplace there, which is remarkable that it happens. 
Uh, and yet, uh, nowadays, police here are more aware of situations. They grow, the training evolves, and you've got a woman who went through that with the police and is now a big advocate and supporter of them. Now, back to the phones we go. Kay, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hi, thanks. I just have a comment on Warnock and Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, Walker's mental health, I mean, he's talked about it in his books. He's He's been open about things. There is some transparency. I think the re- good reverend needs to be careful not to cast the first stone because he also has an ex-wife. Uh, the divorce proceedings, also I believe there's a domestic abuse re- police report. Um, all of that stuff, since he's, he doesn't have an R next to his name, that, that somehow doesn't seem to come to light. But um, And then I also remember that uh, when his wife's ex-wife's father passed away, he did not want her taking the children overseas to go to her father's funeral. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's, there are things, if, if he were good and kind and, you know, um, he, he just does not need to be casting the first stones. Oh, absolutely. The truth always wins out, and there are things that have been kept hidden um, on his side. Well, and not just that. I I think it's also worth noting, first of all, that that he already has cast the first stone. uh, And now the GOP, unlike last time when this stuff was known and they never really used it, this time they're willing to use it. They're willing to punch back. And I think they've got to. if, If I had a singular complaint about the 2020 Senate campaigns in Georgia, it was all... They're bringing socialism to America. The socialists of America are coming. Socialists, 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 the democratic socialists. Nobody, everybody just tunes that out over time. Uh, you, you never say what you're going to do, say why you're better, and talk about those people. The guy who says he loves puppies, not why the socialist takeover is coming, but what about him in particular, or, or Ossoff for that matter? Got to do that. And this time, we are. And I think that's going to turn the corner. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they want to help your business grow. You need a big loan, $750,000 or more. Reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. They can help you in your business nationwide. FirstLibertyGA.com. Now, uh, I want to go back to the phones. Mitch, you're going to be up next. Mitch, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Eric. Good. Uh, I'm calling out of Cobb County. Just want to say my thoughts and prayers for the two sheriffs uh, and my condolences for those families. Appreciate uh, it. You were talking earlier in the week about uh, American currency and how it's backed by the Constitution and how the Constitution, we can't devolt, uh, default on loans and stuff like that. My mm-hmm. question is about the, um, the the deficit or the debt of the United States. How do we get to $7 trillion if we can't default uh, via the Constitution. Aha. Um, So the way a lot of these uh, payments are structured is their people buy American bonds. And what the country does is it does debt service payments. Uh, So the debt service payment uh, takes care of all of the interest payments for the bonds because what the government essentially does is it sells bonds. And, you know, if you buy a bond, uh, the government doesn't buy the bond back from you. It makes payments to you over time. And so that's essentially what's happening here is, is the American debt is essentially we're issuing the government issues treasury bonds. 
individuals, corporations, foreign governments, they buy those bonds, and the government makes those payments over time on those bonds, uh, and that fulfills their obligation under the full faith and credit clause. Uh, and over time, they pay off prior bondholders, and new bondholders come in. Uh, but yes, our national debt is growing so much, and as interest rates go up over time, keep in mind that affects those debt service payments for the bonds then issued after the interest rate goes up. So it becomes harder and harder for our government to meet the debt service payments for which they are obligated. And eventually it gets to the point, if they can't meet the obligation with present revenues, uh, they are forced to either sell off federal properties, raise our taxes, all of the above, cut back services dramatically, which probably all of this sort of stuff is um, gonna, um, gonna have the same problems. Now, we're gonna switch gears a little bit when we come back. We've talked a lot about Major League Baseball uh, bowing to Stacey Abrams. Nate Hutchman from National Review has written about other things that National uh, that uh, Major League Baseball is doing, including bowing to the wokes. At least 20 Major League Baseball teams have promoted or funded groups that advocate or are directly involved in child, not adult, but child gender transitions. The league's website now boasts a social justice section that promotes the 1619 Project, White Fragility, Ibram Kendi, Angela Davis, number of players knelt during the George Floyd protests, and they've committed to every uh, town for gun safety, the Progressive Gun Rights Group, and now they are supporting uh, not just Pride Nights for the LGBT community, but also funding organizations that advocate for uh, young children to transition surgically. Major League Baseball is doing this. Uh, Major League Baseball tends to be and have within it the most conservative base, the most conservative base of fans, the most conservative base of players, and yet they're doing this because at the upper echelons of Major League Baseball, they're all a bunch of progressive liberals who were more than willing to bend over backwards when Stacey Abrams called them out and demanded they boycott Georgia, and they did. They boycotted Georgia because Abrams told them to, and then USA Today, after her editorial urging a boycott, allowed her to edit the editorial uh, to get rid of the reference to boycotting so that uh, they she could say she never did it, which is just tells you how incestuous even the media can be with someone like Abrams. And yet she's losing and Democrats are pulling their money out of Georgia because of it. When we come back, Nate Hodgman is going to join me from National Review. Welcome. It is me and my gosh. We should have like a, a open container Friday after this week, but the phone number, if you want to be on the program, anywhere nationwide, 877-973-7425. Now joining me by phone is a ISI fellow at National Review, which is a fancy way of saying he was smart enough to pass Rich Lowry's BS detector and make it to National Review. Nate Hotchman. Nate, am, am I misspelling or mispronouncing your last name, Hotchman? No, you nailed it, which is um, unusual. Most people, uh, most people get it wrong. Excellent. Good. All right. So um, before we get into baseball, I, I'm sorry. I, I have to ambush you with something else because I actually was reading. I forgot you were coming on today and was reading this morning your piece from the other day about Dr. Oz. 
Uh, and I want to talk to you about that one real quick before we get into the Major League Baseball subject. So sorry to ambush you, but um, I, I have been looking at the race in Pennsylvania and have been somewhat flummoxed by Fetterman. Uh, all of my friends on the ground in Pennsylvania say it's actually the situation is is misrepresented by the national media and, and the polling doesn't seem to get it. I've always been one of those people who thinks the bottom line polling numbers might not be right, but the trends tend to be and the trend seems to be that Fetterman's ahead. And then I, I read this from you uh, this morning as I'm going through all the slack stuff that I hadn't gotten to this week. And essentially talking about Dr. Oz can't run from who he is and he's not this populist firebrand and actually just needs to kind of own his personality and would love for you to weigh in on how you see this race. Yeah, of course. You know, it's really interesting you mentioned that, Eric, because after I wrote that piece, I had some friends who were either on the ground or working in Republican campaigns who said something very similar. And I'm completely happy to, to be wrong. I mean, one of the points that I was making in, in that piece is for all of my arguments that I think Oz is a less than ideal candidate, he would obviously, from the conservative perspective, take much better votes than Fetterman, who's run on a hard left platform on any number of issues. So I hope Dr. Oz wins, and I hope that I'm wrong. And one of the points that I was making is that you have seen the race close by anywhere between three and five points over the course of the last month or so. Uh, largely, I think, in part at least because Fetterman, if you watch him speak, he clearly hasn't recovered from his stroke, and there's still some serious mental issues he's struggling with. But look, I mean, there's a reason that Oz, despite the fact that this is supposed to be a red wave year, has consistently trailed Fetterman by between 8 and 11 points, even when Fetterman was off the campaign trail for you know, a, a couple months uh, because of his stroke. And that's because I think he just hasn't really found a particularly authentic message to deliver to Pennsylvania voters. He's trying to win a lot of working class voters. Those are the voters he needs to win. And he's tried to sort of present himself as this populist outsider who's fighting the establishment. And that's just not Dr. Oz. You know, he's a TV host. He's fabulously wealthy. Uh, and he should have a message to voters that embraces his identity so that he doesn't come off as dishonest and make his pitch that way, rather than trying to pretend that he's something that he's not. You know, Pennsylvania voters are not stupid. They want someone who's not going to be dishonest with them. And I think Dr. Oz needs to find a way to present himself authentically, rather than try to embrace some kind of identity that most voters can transparently tell is not his actual self. I'm, I'm glad you say that, because uh, I've kind of thought the same thing. And it, it, it's nice to it's nice to hear somebody other than me say this. I, I was reminded when he started, he did some live stream, you know, the nonsense stuff they all do now is they very authentically carry around their iPhone when they're streaming somewhere and tell you where they are. And I, I just thought it was, was, it was amazing that he starts off his campaign with one of these where he says, I've found Pennsylvania voters to be phenomenally uh, well-educated or, or some such as like, wait a second, are, how did you find them? Haven't you been there for a while? It's just, I, I'm glad to hear someone other than me think that if he would just own who he was, he would probably be doing better than he is. But now that I mean, I've ambushed uh, yeah. you, go ahead, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say one of the things that I that I cited in the piece is the fact that you know Trump did unusually well for a Republican at the time in Pennsylvania, and he did it not by pretending to be a working class guy. He aligned himself with working class people in Pennsylvania, but he would get up on the stump and talk about how wealthy he was, right? And I right. think that's probably more of a roadmap for people who are not working class people to appeal to working class voters uh, in, in places like Pennsylvania. 
Yeah, I, I just you, you gotta own it. Don't 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 lie about it. So now let, let's let's transition here to Major League Baseball because uh, I saw this piece. I started tweeting about it and I talked about it on the show. Uh, and then somebody, I guess, from, from NRO reached out and said, hey, why don't you, do you want to get Nate on? It's like, yes. Uh, so Major League Baseball, this has been one of the things that that just has baffled me because it kind of is, of all of the sports out there, the one that probably does have the most conservative fan base and tends to have the most conservative uh, people playing the game. I, I know I, I count several members of the Braves team as listeners to this program. Uh, and uh, from other other teams around the country as well, I, I've gotten to know over time. And it, they all are pretty conservative. Even though you go to their Instagram page, they'll have references to the Bible and stuff. And yet at the upper echelons of Major League Baseball, it really is a bunch of progressives. And they've gone from touting the 1619 Project to now funding these groups trying to do underage gender transitions. Right. And to your point, Eric, there's actually a lot of statistical uh, data to show that MLB fan bases uh, are much more conservative or at least much more Republican than the NFL and the NBA. The uh, MLB has a bigger share of Republican fans than the other two major sports leagues. And they have five teams uh, that actually have more Republican fans than Democratic fans. So this is if there's any major American sport that's a red America sport, it's baseball. But like a lot of institutions, including institutions that have deep roots in red America, MLB at the top has really been taken over by a lot of progressive activists and sort of diversity, equity, and inclusion um, consultants over the course of the last few years. You saw during summer 2020 a lot of um, uh, sort of connections to Black Lives Matter. You saw kneeling for the national anthem, et cetera. But sort of on a sort of more quiet level, a more substantive shift is that these LGBT-themed pride nights, which 29 out of 30 MLB teams have now, um, are often funding charities or medical clinics which are promoting or even providing sex change surgeries and drugs to children. So 20 out of the 30 MLB teams are either sending ticket money or holding fundraisers for uh, medical clinics and LGBT activist groups that are engaged in, in sex change surgeries for minors. Now, that is not something that I think the average sort of conservative-leaning MLB fan actually wants their money to go towards. But in two-thirds of the MLB now, it's something that's, that is happening on a, on a very real material level. Wow. Uh, you start off in, in I, I remember, and I pulled up the piece that I read, the, the Detroit Tigers um, uh, partnering with organizations that perform medical gender transitional minors, the Detroit Tigers, the Boston Red Sox, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Cleveland Guardians, and, and then those engaged with partnerships and referrals. You got the Dodgers, the Pirates, the Padres, the Athletics. Uh, but let's focus on those top ones first. Uh, Detroit, Boston, given how progressive the area is, I can kind of see. But uh, Detroit, Tampa Bay, Cleveland, these aren't exactly bastions of progressivism. And yet this is where these teams are headed. Right. And, you know, some of the teams that are actively funding uh, the, these, these groups actually are some of the teams that have uh, or, or at least are promoting groups that do referrals are, are the, some of the teams that have more Republican fans, literally, than Democratic fans. So and even the ones that are, you know, that are sort of more measured, they still have a, a sizable, you know, 30, 40 percent uh, fan base that votes Republican. So I, think yeah, I mean, a lot gosh, of, the, the, the owner of the Cleveland Guardians was almost the Republican nominee in the Senate for Ohio. 
That's right. Look, a lot, again, sir, MLB is a very culturally conservative institution. In Red America, the sport that uh, is often sort of predominant over anything else besides maybe college football is professional baseball. But I think because of just the nature of a lot of these LGBT activist groups uh, and the jargon that a lot of what they do and a lot of their mission is sort of shrouded in, it's difficult for the average fan to tell that this is actually where a lot of times their money is going if they don't have the time to actively look into it. But in fact, if you do take a minute, uh, like I did, to research where exactly this ticket money is going, in, in a lot of these instances, they're funding groups that either, in the five that you cited, are either funding medical clinics that provide sex change hormones to children or funding medical clinics that actually actively perform irreversible sex change surgeries on children. And sometimes those children can be as young as 11 or 12. Gosh, wow. Okay, so let's we, we got a few minutes here. What, what would you recommend that the Major League Baseball fans do, or is there anything they can do to, to complain, raise awareness with the teams? What, what, what should people do? Well, look, the obvious first thing to do is for fans to do exactly what you're saying, Eric, which is to complain, to make a lot of noise about this, uh, and to potentially even threaten boycotts, I think. It's, it's, it's something that should be on the table. For a lot of these corporate leaders, not just in the MLB, but in any number of American corporate institutions that have embraced this kind of stuff in recent years, they're not left-wing ideologues, for the most part, in corporate boardrooms. They're just responding to incentive structures. And for a very long time in America, the incentive structure for these corporate leaders who are risk-averse has been uh, you're going to get in a lot more trouble if you get on the wrong side of the left than you are if you're going to get on the wrong side of the right. And I think the right has to organize in a way where they make it clear that they're willing to pull their dollars out as well uh, if the, you know, the, the teams that they're supporting are supporting things that they find unconscionable, like sex change surgeries for minors. So that has to be part of the, the calculus, is to actually demonstrate to these teams that there will be consequences for doing something as radical as what a lot of these teams are doing. I also just think at the political level, you know, I was really gratified to see Senator Marco Rubio after my report came out. Uh, yesterday, he sent a letter to the, the Tampa Bay Rays raising concerns about them, which is also a way to apply pressure. I think that's a totally appropriate thing for for lawmakers who are concerned about this kind of thing to do. There has to be pressure applied on these teams from a variety of different avenues to actually make them reconsider what they're doing and just to have them understand that you know, there are consequences for doing something as radical as this. This is not something the majority of Americans are comfortable with. And if uh, America's pastime, which is baseball, is actually going to actively fund these things with ticket money a lot of the times, uh, that there's, there's going to be real consequences for that behavior. All right. Now, before you get out of here, are there are any any teams that I, I think you mentioned there might be one or, or a few that haven't descended down this path? Are there any good ones that we should know about? Well, the the most pristine, clean one is the Texas Rangers because they don't even hold an LGBT themed Pride Night at all. They never have, and they're the only team in the MLB that hasn't held one. And they've gotten an enormous amount of grief from LGBT activist groups who have accused them of being homophobic for not holding Pride Nights. But to me, I think they're just doing exactly what MLB teams should do, which is just to stay out of politics. I think teams uh, should be focusing on baseball, which traditionally was something that could unify Americans of any number of different political and cultural backgrounds. And when you insert politics into it, particularly something as divisive as, you know, sex change surgeries for children, um, that makes, that politicizes an institution uh, like professional baseball. So the Rangers, I think, have done a very good job of staying out of politics, uh, but they're the only team in the MLB uh, right now that, that isn't holding these, these fundraisers and these events. 
Okay. Now I've got to ask you the question I dread asking you. The Braves. I know they have Pride Night. Um, are they like funding left wing groups other than their? I mean, we've had the Stacey Abrams issue. Just, just now. Listen now. Listen. You could destroy my radio career here uh, if, <laughs> if you go too hard on them. I just want you to know because my flagship station is Atlanta. But I mean, what do we what do we need to hold the Braves accountable for here? <laughs> well, I have I have moderately good news for the for your fans who are Braves Sweet listeners, Jesus, which is they didn't you. actually they they actually didn't show up at least as of yet uh, on my list. They do have a Pride Night, but the group they're funding at least right now uh, wasn't directly connected to uh, any kind of sort of sex change surgery, uh, both for minors or for anyone else. It was mostly just sort of an LGBT business group, which is pretty benign uh, by and large when you talk about these Pride Nights. Now, I think who knows uh, where what direction they'll go in the next five or ten years. But as of now, I think they're making exactly the right decision, and hopefully your fans who are Braves listeners can make sure they, they stay on the straight and narrow. All right. I'm going to have to talk to my, 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 my friends of my beloved Cubbies. I know the owners there, but at least it's, it's, it's good the, the Braves are, are, are not going down that path. This makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I'm not surprised when you said it was the Texas Rangers. Not surprised at all. Um, good for them. And, and of course, this year they're, they're finally not really sucking. So that's good, too. All right, Nate, listen, it is a great pleasure to have you on the program. I really do. And this is some tremendous reporting you've done. Thank you for doing it. Hey, thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Nate Hoshman from National Review. Uh, if you go to National Review, in fact, I will tweet this out, um, this article right now so you can see this. Um, a great reporting on MLB. Uh, so you can see that on my Twitter feed at EW Erickson. You can find it. It is good reporting, and it is good to know that uh, the Atlanta Braves have not gone down that path, and the Texas Rangers are. Well, I mean, it's a conservative organization to begin with, um, so good for them. Now, I got to tell you, given the economic news today, the Dow is up over 400 points, NASDAQ up 227, S&P 500 up 60. So you've had two days in a row of growth, but you've had two and a half weeks now of decline, overall general decline. If you're worried about the market turmoil and you want to use precious metals to try to even out the ebbs and flows of your retirement savings, reach out to my friends at GoldCo, 855-904-5933. You'll get their free wealth protection kit. You'll learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. If you call my friends at GoldCo at 855-904-5933, you'll figure out how to qualify for their special offer. They've helped thousands of Americans. They want to partner with you if they're a good fit for you. It's 855-904-5933 or just text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, text my name to 33777. I will text you Gold Coast number. Text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. I'll send you their number. You can call them. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, I am out of time for those of you on the phones because I have a point I have to make before I get out of here today that has to be said and made. At 1 o'clock... Eastern Time on September 9th, 2022. Across the Atlantic, dressed in black inside a palace, the new King of England, Charles III, addressed his nation, and all of the American nation stopped to listen to him. 
It was covered live by all of the American networks, not just CNN, Fox, and MSNBC, but ABC, CBS, and NBC, and the Fox Broadcast Channel, and PBS. They all covered the New King's address to his people who are no longer us, but we still are kindred souls. What's notable is that all of the networks in the United States stopped, paused, and covered King Charles III's first address to his peoples in nations spread around the world and all the people of the planet. These same networks did not carry the speech of the President of the United States claiming that democracy is under attack. Why? Because the new King of England reigns and does not rule. His speech could not be by his essence as King a political speech. And yet the President of the United States deigned to take upon himself the trappings of the office of president to give a speech cast as a presidential speech so that he could slander and smear half the nation in a political speech designed for his own political advantage and the American networks refused to cover the president of the United States, though they would cover the crowned king of England. That's not a damning indictment on the American news networks. It's a damning indictment on the president of the United States using the trappings of the presidency to attack half the nations as threats to democracy, trying to cast it as a presidential speech when it was nothing more than political hackery for an election.